We uh, have been uh, following a series here at East Baptist Church. We're working our way through Ephesians. Um, and because I uh, am ministering training and I spend half my time in college and half my time in church, I don't preach every week. So, and, and we stop occasionally because other things happen, like you know, Easter and things. It's important to not worry about the series in those moments. Um, and so we've been working our way through Ephesians. Um, and we finally made it, we're, we're just getting into chapter 5, just, we started January, we're doing well. Um, but just because I know that not everybody, even if you come every week, I know not everyone remembers what we even talked about last week, or the week before, let alone what we mentioned in January. And so I thought it would be helpful to recap, and those of you who have not been here, well, you'll get the headlines, uh, basically. Um, verses, chapter 1, verses 1 to 6 talks about the fact that we are chosen by God, that God chooses each one of us. goes on in verses 7 to 14 to talk about redemption through Christ and the promises uh, that he made. We then uh, move into uh, verses 15 to 23, which talk about the fact that God is above all. Chapter 2 uh, talks about the fact that we are saved by grace, not by anything that we can do, but because of what Christ has already done for us. But that we are in this together, that we are the, the, the body of Christ, we are the church, we're in this together, and no one or other of us is better than another. Chapter 3 then talks about God's plan, which is to share the news of the boundless riches of Christ. And then Paul, in that letter of Ephesians, at that point, he prays, he says what his prayer is, he says his prayer is for others, and our prayer too should be for one another. Last time, uh, we moved into chapter 4 and we talked about the fact that God gives us gifts and also that we should be growing up in faith. Uh, and it's that theme that the context in which the, the passage that Ken kindly read out is set in the maturing of our faith. And I, as I was reading the passage and it says, put, put kind of brawling and things behind you, I was thinking, well, I don't know if anyone here today is going to, I'm going to say, don't, don't get into brawls, and you'll go, all right then, because you don't anyway, so it's fairly easy not to do that one. So I was thinking, well, what's the context? What, what does it mean for us today? So I, I was thinking about, what does, that, what does it mean for us? Now, I have been involved in some interesting conversations during the past few months, being a training minister, um, and meeting with different training ministers and tutors and you meet people from other denominations and things and, and people ask all sorts of interesting questions but one of the questions that's come up and it's come up time and time again from people who originate from maybe parts of Africa or parts of Asia uh, and different parts of the world and what they say is how come in the countries, the continents that we are from the church and Christianity is growing exponentially. There's, it's like revival is taking place. And we come to England, where missionaries were sent out from, and Christianity is in decline. What happened? What is going wrong? Why aren't people interested in Christianity anymore? And I've come up with various answers to that. Mostly it's, I don't know, um, but I'm interested. But one of the things that I've considered 
It lies in how we've come to understand Christianity and what it means to mature in our faith. And actually, our lack of understanding that we need to keep on growing. Or more accurately, we need to keep dying to ourselves and becoming more like Christ. You see, I think, for many of us who are Christians, who say we're Christians, who maybe have been a Christian a long time, that we've actually stopped growing. We've stopped maturing. At some point in our lives, we met Jesus. We said, yes, I believe. We decided we would commit ourselves to following Jesus and our actions changed. I don't know each of your stories of conversion. Some of you might have had a kind of huge moment of uh, amazing insight, something might have happened. Perhaps you were a thief or a drug dealer. You were involved in all sorts of terrible things that the world would look at and go, oh, that awful. What a terrible person you were. And, and then somehow God's got hold of you and it's turned your life around and everybody looks at you and goes, wow, look what happened to them. But for many of us, I suspect actually we were reasonably nice people beforehand and perhaps we were already going to church and it was a bit more gradual and people kind of go, well, I haven't really noticed a difference. I mean, some close to you might have done it. But, but lots of people perhaps go, well, okay, well, you already went to church. I didn't know that you, something different had changed in your life, but that's nice for you. And I wonder if actually some of us have got to that point where we met Jesus, things have changed, we know things change, we did a few things differently. But actually what's ended up happening is we kind of go, well, you know, we live pretty much the same, but, you know, we occasionally try and pray, I might have a bit of a Bible study, and the thing that's noticeably different is I come to church every week, or I go to a Bible study, or I handed some responsibility within the church. Now, I don't need to take that as a criticism, I want to say, you know, get it wrong, I include myself in that. But it is a bit of a criticism of our church. And when I say our church, I mean the church in the UK or the church of the West. Because as a community, we've not grasped what it means to be disciples who mature. Jesus was with the 12 disciples for three years. And after that, he left them with the Spirit. Their lives looked different. Some went from fishermen to being teachers, onto preachers. Their journey was fisherman, disciple, and then apostle. Our culture seems to keep people in immaturity. You see, Jesus was with those disciples and then after three years he left them. He gave them space to put into practice the things that they've been taught. Jesus speaks of his followers being sheep. And we, there's various references to saying you're a shepherd and followers of sheep. But it appears that somehow they, the sheep, the followers of Jesus, then more and become the shepherds. So you get Peter, uh, who is asked in John 21, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, you know I do. Do you love me? Yes, you know I do. But all the time Jesus is saying, feed my sheep. Well, the sheep don't feed the sheep. The shepherds feed the sheep. So somehow, Peter matures from sheep to shepherd. I think the church has lost its confidence. We've tried to fit in with society and we fear that we don't. when we don't, people will leave the church. I want to suggest that we need to be different. We need to live like changed people. We need to live out the faith that we have and grow in maturity. Maturity is to trust that we have equipped the saints. That's what it talks about in chapter 4 verse 12. To allow them then to go out 
Not to be reliant on the pastor or the organised activities at church, but actually to get out. To go and live out your faith. As your pastor, for those that come here, for others that don't, I stand here and I preach. I need Bible study. And you've got a choice. You can either listen to what I say and go, well, that was nice. We had a nice time at church. It ticked all the boxes for what I like. And then you can go home and you can just... It'll be the same as before you come to church. Then you'll come next week, and if you come to the Bible study, then fine, you're very conventional. Or you can go, actually, I want God to transform me. There's something about what I heard today through what Rick said, through the song, whatever, that God spoke to me, and I want to live differently. One aspect of the church profile for Usually Baptist Church that I read before deciding to come here was a recognition that prayer life in the church isn't as it could be. I still don't think it is, but then I don't think I'll ever reach the point where I go, we've cracked it. Because as soon as we get it a bit better, we'll want to get a bit better again, a bit better again. And Peter and I have chatted and he said that he thinks that we need to get better at praising and rejoicing. And I agree. And perhaps at some point we'll look at, we'll look at that. But as in some of my personal study that I've done, I was looking at, I've been reading scriptures. And I've been drawn to passages such as Luke 6, 22-24, which talks about rejoicing when people hate you because of Jesus. And John 20, verses 19-21, speaks of the disciples rejoicing when they saw the scars of Jesus and realised he was alive. And Acts 5, 17-42 says, the apostles were persecuted, but they rejoiced. And in 41 it says, because they are considered worthy to suffer because of Christ. We struggle with rejoicing, I think, in part because we don't know what it means to suffer for our faith. If you go to other parts of the world where people suffer, they're brilliant at rejoicing. They might not be good at other things. But if we want to learn how to rejoice, we've got to know what it means to suffer. And in coming into maturity, disciples are engaged with the world. Engaging with the world in challenging the norms and the expectations they suffered. They lived out their faith publicly, not hidden away. The difference of Christ's spirit working in their lives empowered them to stand out and to be different. To stand up against injustice and to shame the authorities by responding in love to their oppression. The church in the West, the church in the UK, we don't suffer. I mean, we might go, oh no, somebody said something, you know, a bit like, oh, we can't pray in schools as much as we used to. But we don't suffer, we don't know what it means to suffer because of knowing Christ. We live comfortable lives. No one outside of the church would necessarily know that following Jesus makes any difference from not following him. We don't know how to pray or rejoice because we remain in our immaturity. We attempt to, to do things, but our rejoicing will fall short because our immaturity keeps us hidden away from the world. Too afraid to really stand up for our beliefs or to stand up for the weak and the oppressed in case we too become oppressed and our lives get harder. If we want to know what it means to mature in our faith, if we want to see the fulfilment of God's mission in Usley and beyond, then we need to grow up. Today we are celebrating our family and we're dedicating ourselves to raise Enoch within Christian community. And it's interesting watching her growing up and also seeing other people's reactions and responses to her. If you haven't seen her for a few weeks or months, you notice changes. That will continue. She's going to get bigger. She's going to have more hair. She's going to get more teeth. She's going to learn some words. She's going to 
do all sorts of things. And we get to watch it now after two, and he's that little bit ahead, but he's that little bit older. But as Edith grows up, as she matures, we will see those changes taking place. It doesn't just happen on the day she was born that she went from being in the womb to out of the womb, done, you're born. No, she's going to grow in maturity. If we are to grow up in our faith, then people should be able to see a recognisable change, and that change comes about from a new way of thinking. Paul talks about a new way of thinking. He talks about putting behind you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander. If these are things that you hold on to, then firstly my prayer is for you to receive healing. Because each of these things, they're a consequence of some felt injustice in our lives. You feel in some way that you've suffered and therefore you hold on to that and it comes out as bitterness or anger or malice. So I want to pray for you for healing. However, it is also a decision that each of us needs to make to put away these things. It's a choice that we have. Given that we receive the grace, mercy and love of Christ, we have the choice to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving. In immaturity, anger and wrangling take place over the simplest and silliest of things. In their maturity, in, in their immaturity, my children become angry when they don't get to play with the right toy. Or when their food is served in slightly the wrong way. It might be on the wrong plate. It might be in the wrong place setting. We might have got the wrong spoon. And there'll be a tantrum. They'll be sulking. And that's just from us. <laughs> in maturing, I hope that some of that will change. They will argue and they will get angry over other issues. Hopefully, however, as they mature, they will learn to choose how to respond. They will respond differently to different people in different situations. When someone takes their toy that they wanted to play with, they will either choose to fight back, or get angry, or have a strop, or they can choose to let it go and to move on. We are to put all, we are to put away all the thinking and ways of doing things from our life pre-meeting Jesus. If it is bitterness and so on, then discipleship towards maturing needs to model how to respond with kindness and forgiveness. It is not just about teaching on a Sunday, but it is a commitment to those wanting to be changed by Christ, to be discipled. It's for them to choose it, but it's also our responsibility as a church to commit to providing that discipleship. And people need to learn not just from a once a week Bible study and a Sunday sermon, but being allowed into our lives. Letting them learn how to pray by being allowed into our personal prayer times. Learning to explore scripture through the week by joining us in doing so. Joining us as we do church business, whatever that might be, but also in other aspects of our life. They need to be allowed into our lives. We need to allow one another into our lives. To eat meals together regularly, not just on special occasions. We need to see what it is to be a disciple when we go shopping, when we're driving in the car, when we do ordinary things. Because it's in the normal and the everyday that disciples are made. The best model that I can think of is Jesus. In chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 goes on to say, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and live 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're instructed to be imitators of God. What an incredible calling. We aren't called to imitate God in the sense of creating the world and, and everything in it. That, that bit we set aside, that was God. He created the world and everything in it. But we are called to imitate God in such a way that we are prepared to give everything up for others as an overflow of our love for Christ. That is not to say that we will have to give everything up, but that we should be prepared to do so. Now, some people say that politics and church shouldn't mix. I think they have to. And I'll be honest and say that the recent budget announcements turned my stomach. They make me angry and sad and cross. We live in one of the richest and safest countries in the world and our government is removing benefits from those in the most dismal and appalling situations. As a country, our message to its citizens and to the world is let the, get, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And if you think that's outside this society, then I want to tell you about a family that I heard of this week. Um, on the 22nd of May, they moved into cardboard boxes on the canal just down the road. They've been living there, and this is grandparents, mum and dad, and a four-year-old. And they've been living there since the 22nd of May. And they've gone looking, they've gone to the council and said, we need some help, and the council have said, I can't help you. They've gone looking to various places. And the situation is the dad is working full time, the grandparents are on a pension. But stuff happened, and uh, I know a bit more of that story. Now, thankfully, somebody said, Have you heard of Bell Farm? Bell Farm's a church up the road that offers advice and guidance, and they went there, and they wanted to sort something out for them. Now, if they'd given them somewhere to live, if they said, Yeah, come and live in our church, that would have meant that that family weren't homeless, and the council would stop considering their needs because they would then be considered homeless. So what they had to do was they provided them a tent. On Thursday, thankfully, because some other people got involved, because the church stirred up a bit of a scene, uh, and got the local councillors involved, on Thursday, after a week with the local councillors being involved and trying to do what they could, they were finally moved into some temporary B&B accommodation. They may or may not get to stay there, because their applications for various things are being processed. And if it's deemed that they're not suitable, then they'll get picked out. And I don't know what will happen to them. We live in a society, we live in a town where these things are happening today. And things are going to get worse. Stephen Alford, who is the, was a personal confidant of Billy Graham, once said, if there are little children in your parish who don't have proper shoes or a decent winter coat, then it's the church's responsibility, not social services. When have we blessed those that have less? What portion of usually Baptist Church's budget goes to feed, water, clothe and bless those who have less? I don't know the answer to that question, but that's something I want us to consider. We're saying, and we've got a draft vision at the moment, we're hoping it will be our, our vision, that we believe God's giving us. 
And the headline is to love God and love our neighbours and to make disciples. If we want to love God and love our neighbours, then we've got to get serious about what it means to get outside of these four worlds and, and to feed those who need feeding, to clothe those who need clothing. The message of the world is each for their own. The message of the church shouldn't be the same. The message of the church should be we're in this together. We need to be imitators of God. And to be imitators of God is to be imitators of Christ. We're to make disciples. We aren't to focus on the rich or the educated, but on the poor, the isolated, the grieving, the trampled, the forgotten, the dirty, the dying. As I look at my children, my hope isn't that they get good grades in school, that they get good jobs that mean that they will earn money or uh, hold positions of power. My hope for my children is that they know what it means to have someone lay down their lives for them, and that they in turn are willing and able to lay down their lives for others. My hope for my children is that they will be as gentle as lambs, as strong as lions, to be content in all circumstances, to defend the oppressed, to take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widows. But I don't just hope this for my children. It's my hope for us as a church. We need to grow up. We need to grow up in love. We need to think less about ourselves and more about our neighbours. And as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 to 8, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My hope for us as a church that we are prepared to be obedient, that we will humble ourselves and that we will be obedient even to the point of death. Following Christ is about doing things differently. Following Christ requires us to alter our minds. We're called to be imitators of God. The call to be a disciple of Christ is not a call to be easy, with life filled with material blessings. It is a life of suffering, but with spiritual blessing. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, those who mourn and are meek. Not blessed are the rich and the wealthy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn and blessed are me. We are called to get off our backsides, out of our comfy little hides, and to lay down our lives to make a difference. We are called to imitate Christ. I always like to have an opportunity to respond at the end of a sermon, something to think about. And I was thinking, what do I say after that? So I'm not going to say anything. The song's going to play. If you need to pray, uh, and do so. If you need to confess and say, you know what, God, actually, I've been caught up in my own stuff. I've been caught up in my own life, and I haven't noticed people around me, the hurting, the suffering, the struggles that people go through. 
And it's not just outside these four walls, because there's people in these four walls too.